All right, good morning. How y'all doing? All right, we're in Philippians again, so go ahead, and if you've got a Bible with you, whether it's uh, one that you hold in your hand that looks like a book or whether it's electronic, however you need to get to it, go ahead and get to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be hanging out and looking at two verses today. But I think there's plenty in these two verses for us to, uh, to think about not only today, but the rest of the day uh, and all into this week, I hope. And it's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So if you want to go ahead and find Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I'm going to read those in just a minute. And uh, before I do that, let me, um, let me just mention to you that uh, we're having partnership class this afternoon at the church office. If uh, Some of you have already signed up. If, if you haven't signed up and, and this is uh, the church that you've been coming to for a while and you, you want to learn more about it and you think maybe this you want this to be your church home, the place that, that you plug in, uh, this, this, uh, this class this afternoon is for you. It's at 2 o'clock this afternoon at our church office. If you don't know where that is, uh, I'll be down front or anyone out in the atrium that has a guest services shirt. Those are... Uh, what color are guest services shirts? I should know that. Whatever color everybody's wearing, uh, you can ask them, and they can tell you uh, how to get to our office as well. But it's not—it's not hard to find at all. Let me pray, and uh, after we pray, we're gonna—we're gonna jump in today to what we've got to talk about. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here and for the gift of another day. We know that uh, with each day, your mercies are made brand new to us, and so we're thankful for that. And, uh, Lord, I'm very aware of the fact that if your spirit doesn't move today, if you don't speak to people's hearts, then uh, what I'm saying up here, I I can't convince anybody of anything. And so we pray that your spirit would move, that you would be speaking directly into the hearts of people, beginning with mine. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, really glad to be here. We were gone last week, uh, my wife and I, and... and, uh, and my youngest daughter, Grace, we were, none of us were here last week, and uh, Sherry and I got the opportunity last week to go down to Charleston last weekend and visit my oldest daughter, who's in college down there. Uh, She's at the same college that Sherry and I went to, which is always fun for us to go back there and visit, and and, and I was thinking this week, as as, uh, after we had just been down there last weekend, of how much fun that time of, of my life was, how much I enjoyed that, and I was thinking about why I like that so much. And I know some of you are thinking, oh yeah, Cliff, I probably know why you liked it. But it's not those kinds of reasons. One of the reasons why that time of life for me was so enjoyable was it was really the first time I'd experienced a lot of new freedoms. It's, yeah, and, and maybe the post-high school years were like that for you. Whether you went to college or didn't go to college, usually the post-high school years are the time that, that you start to get some freedoms that you've never had before as an individual. And so we like that time of our life. When we look back on that, we, we think about it finally, because that was the, maybe the first time in your life where you kind of got to go the places you wanted to go and, and, uh, you got to stay as long at those places or as late as you wanted to at those kinds of places. Maybe it was also the time in your life where you first, you, you were really, now you were responsible for what you ate or didn't eat, or you were responsible for your own hygiene, which is kind of a scary thing. I'm convinced that the Ebola virus started in a college dorm room of some guy somewhere, you know, because of how that goes on when you're in college. And, and so the post high school years for a lot of us are a lot of fun because you were starting to experience freedom. But here's, here's the other reason why, not just because you started to have some freedoms, but because it was a time in your life where you had some freedoms, but you weren't yet completely responsible for everything. 
Uh, if you were like me, maybe you spent some time in college or you spent some time after high school. Even, even if you were working, chances are you weren't completely on your own yet. You were living with your parents, and so you're out kind of spending your own money, doing what you want to do, and living off of the mortgage that your hard-earned uh, you know, uh, parents that, they, that they've earned the hard way and working on, and, and maybe you probably weren't paying utility bills by then, which now as an adult you realize those things have to be paid every month or things get turned off. And, and so, so it, was, it was a time in your life where you were experiencing some freedom, but you didn't experience the full responsibility yet. And I think that's one of the reasons why we enjoy that time in our life. Well, one of the great things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and the reason that we gather here every week is that Jesus Christ, when Jesus came to earth and he died on a cross and he, and he didn't stay dead, he came back from the grave in, in, in what we call the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection, one of the things that that does for us is it allows us to be free. It allows us to be set free from sin. It allows us to be set free from addiction. It allows us to be set free from all these things that this world uh, has to offer us that are so deadly and devastating. The gospel gives us freedom from all of those things, and it's a great thing. In fact, it's such a great part of the gospel that we decided to name a whole church after that part of the gospel, Freedom Fellowship. That, that's what we wanted to celebrate was the fact that the gospel frees people from sin, and that's why we gather here every week, and that's an amazing thing. But now the other, another part of the gospel of Jesus is that once we're set free from sin, we then have some responsibilities. And that's just as much of a real part of the gospel of Jesus as the freedom part. It just doesn't make as good of a name for a church. If, if this was responsibility fellowship, chances are you wouldn't want to invite your friends to it as much as you do if it's named freedom fellowship. But, but responsibility is a part of the gospel of Jesus. We have responsibility for the things of God. And so today, this part of the, the letter to the, Philipp, to the Philippians that we're reading that Paul wrote, he, he begins to address some of that. And, and we're, we're only going to cover two verses today because as I got into preparing this message, I was going to do more verses today. And I thought, man, these two verses here, we need to spend some time on this. Because what I want to tell you today, I want you to understand that I am not preaching to you or preaching at you I'm discussing this with you because I'm living it just like you are. Because the message I want to share with you today, I think that all of us need to pay close attention to. So, so let's, let's jump into verses 12 and 13. And uh, verse 12 starts with the word, therefore. So I'm not going to go any further yet, okay? I'm going to read it in a minute. But let me stop right there. Because it starts with therefore. And I know you've heard this before if you've been in church. But when you're reading the Bible and you see a therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And the only reason I tell you that is because the Bible is one of the only books that we just open up and we just start reading in the middle, and you don't ever pick up a novel and just say, I think I'm going to start at verse 18 and just read from there. If you did, you'd want to go back and see what was before. But because we do that with the Bible, whenever you just open up a verse and it starts with therefore, you need to back up a few verses. Okay, what is the therefore about? Because here's the, the word therefore is a connecting word. And it connects cause and effect. That's what it... So something happened, therefore this is going to happen. For example... Um, if I were to say to you, Cliff, that's me, um, he ate a steady diet uh, from October 31st to the beginning of 2015. Cliff ate a steady diet of Halloween candy, Christmas checks mix, and baked goods. 
Therefore, at the beginning of 2015, Cliff was 20 pounds overweight. That's what the word therefore is. It connects. Eating a bunch of stuff creates another problem. That's what therefore is. So what is this therefore all about when it starts with verse 12? So let's go back to the verses of Scripture that Ben taught on last week. So if you're, you've got your Bible there, just look to verse 5, Philippians 2, and I'm going to read 5 through 11. And it says this. This is what the therefore is all about. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the verses right before we get to where we're going to read today. And so what Paul is saying there is he's saying, listen, I want you to understand that Jesus, uh, he was was completely humble. He he was completely sacrificial in the way he lived his life. One of the things that we're really good at doing as human beings, we're really good at putting our needs above everybody else's needs. Even when we don't realize sometimes we're doing it, we just, we want what we want. We want it when we want it. We want it the way we want it. And, And we're great at putting our needs above everybody else's. And, and Jesus, if anyone could have come to earth and put his needs first, it should have been Jesus because he created all of this. He made all of this. He made us. And if anyone could have come and said, listen, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. But that's not what he did. Instead, he completely humbled himself and he humbled himself to the point of death and not just death, but the most painful, excruciating Uh, uh, death that you can imagine by being crucified. And so Paul is saying, listen, that's the way you're supposed to live. You're supposed to be humble. You're supposed to be sacrificial just the way Jesus did. And now he says, therefore, so imagine it. He's saying this in light of the fact that Jesus was humble, Jesus was sacrificial, and that's the way you're supposed to live now do these things in light of that. So that's the whole context that we're dealing with. And so then he says this in verses 12 and 13, in light of the fact that Jesus has lived sacrificially and we're supposed to do this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the first thing I want you to to know today, and if you're taking notes, be sure that you write this down. We must take responsibility for our spiritual growth. We must take responsibility for our spiritual growth. Paul says right there, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now let me stop right here and tell you what Paul is not saying first. We're going to talk about what he is saying in a second. But let me tell you what he is not saying there. Paul is not saying that we can be or should be good enough that we can do enough good deeds in order to save ourselves from sin. He's not saying that, that, that we can somehow be good enough to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into God's good favor. That is not what Paul is saying. What the, the teaching of Paul 
not only in the book of Philippians, but throughout the New Testament, the entire teaching of the New Testament is very consistent, and that is this. The only thing that allows us to be set free from sin is the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross and the victory of the resurrection a couple of days later. That is it. That's the only way that we can be saved from our sin. We can never be good enough. We can never do enough good deeds. We can never give enough money to the church, take in enough homeless people, help enough old ladies across the street. We can never do enough good things to earn our salvation, which is what Paul calls it, being saved from sin. We can never do that on our own. The only way that happens is through the cross and through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wrote about that in a book to the church at Ephesus that we call Ephesians. And he said this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He makes it very clear. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's pretty pretty blunt right there. You can't do it. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So let me, so just to be clear, that's what Paul is not saying. When he says, work out your own salvation, our salvation begins by Jesus sacrificing himself for us on the cross. But what he is saying there is, he's saying that, that once you begin that process of being saved, once Jesus has died and you've accepted that, and some of you need to do that today. There are some of you here today that you, you've come to church and you're checking things out. Or maybe you come here every week and you're checking things out. And you're thinking by coming here that, that God's putting a mark in your favor and that's good enough. And, and that's not what this is all about. Some of you today, you need to get to the point where you realize, I've, I've sinned. I've done things that are against the, the nature of who God is and who he wants me to be. And if I don't repent of that, turn away from that, and turn to the cross, give my life to Jesus Christ, there's no hope for me. And some of you need to get to that point today, that you need to accept Jesus for the very first time as your Savior. And then what Paul says is that once you do that, once, once Jesus transforms your heart and you begin to follow him, then we have a responsibility then we begin to work out our own salvation. He saved us, but while we're here, we have a responsibility to begin to live in the grace of Jesus. We have a responsibility to try to live by the teachings that are found in the New Testament. We have a responsibility in the way that we treat people. We have a responsibility in what we do with our money. We have a responsibility in the way we deal with our relationships, our marriage relationships, our children, our, our other relationships, that we have now responsibilities that come along with the free grace of Jesus. See, we have to make an effort. We shouldn't be comfortable with sin. The, the, ver, the word there in verse 12 where it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That word work right there, it's a long Greek word that starts with a K that I probably am not going to pronounce right, so I'm not going to try to. But the idea behind the meaning of that Greek word that starts with a K there is that it's, it's an idea of, it, it's, a, it's a performance type of word. That we are, the working out of your own salvation is, is a proving of who you are. That you're supposed to prove yourself over a long period of time. 
See, when we talk about um, how many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand. I know a lot of you. I know that a lot of you grew up in church. Maybe most, maybe some of you didn't, but I know a lot of you did. And if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, and, and most of us grew up in, we, we use the terminology when someone would accept Jesus, what would we say happened to them? We say they got what? Say it with me. Saved. They got saved. Man, that dude got saved. I got saved, you know, we, and we talk about it as if it was a one-time event. And so, and, 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 and the, the beginning of it is a one-time event. It's important for you to know when it began, but that wasn't the end of it. So let's say you grew up in a church and, and uh, they brought in a revival preacher and he was fired up and he cleared off a spot in the pulpit and pitched a fit and hooted and hollered and you got saved that night and it was real, okay? And, and you, you walked down an aisle and you prayed and you asked Jesus to come into your heart and you could tell people, man, I got saved the night, the Tuesday night of a revival at this church. That was when I got saved and I got baptized the next Sunday and that was when I got saved. And you did. That's awesome. But what happened right there was the beginning. Because, see, salvation is not a one-moment deal. Salvation is a process. And so you were saved then, and then you began the journey of your life, which you're still in, so now you are still being saved. In fact, the Apostle Paul talked about that when he said that, um, he, he said earlier in one of his uh, passages of Scripture in Romans, when he said, um, he said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are without Jesus, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what you're living in right now, if you can point back to a day and you can say, that was the day I got saved, then what's happening to you right now, you're in the process of being saved. Jesus is still working in your life. And then what's going to happen one day, one day you're going to die. It's going to happen to all of us. None of us can escape it. And you're going to die. And if, you, and if you did have that experience with Jesus and you walked with him your whole life and you were being saved, then when the moment comes when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to see him face to face. And then your salvation is going to be completed at that moment. And so what's happening to you right now, you are being saved. And so when Paul says that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, He's saying that there should be things happening in your life. There should be improvement, that you should be making an effort. And I love it when Paul says there, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Remember where Paul was when he wrote Philippians? He was in prison. So he wasn't at the church. People could not be obeying Jesus in order to impress Paul. And so he's saying, listen, even though the preacher's not in town, I'm glad to hear you're still walking with Jesus. That you weren't just doing it while I was there, but now you're even doing it more, much more in my absence. Because the folks at this church at Philippi, they had the right idea of what it meant to follow Jesus. Because one of the things we need to understand is that if we're going to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, then we have to understand that, that we've got to quit worrying about and, and blaming uh, other people for us not growing or saying someone else should be doing something to make us grow. Now, maybe you've never said this. Maybe you've only thought it. Maybe you've heard someone else say it. But sometimes people will say things like this. Well, I just wasn't growing at that church. When I listen to that pastor teach, I just never grew. Like it's somehow the guy who stands behind the pulpit, it's his responsibility to make you grow. 
And maybe, maybe you've heard people say, well, you know, that church doesn't teach enough of the Bible or that church teaches too much of the Bible. They just go verse by verse through a book. Or, or that church, their songs were too new. I just couldn't experience Jesus. Or that church, their songs were too old. I just couldn't experience Jesus. Or that life group leader, that life group just wasn't deep enough for me. Or that life group was too deep. I felt uncomfortable, whatever. We can come up with all kinds of excuses for why we're not growing spiritually. But the, the deal is that it's not your life group leader's responsibility for you to grow spiritually. It's not even your pastor's responsibility for you to grow spiritually. It's not the band or the worship leader's responsibility for you to grow spiritually. Because here's the deal. None of us, none of them can make that happen for you. That you have to take some responsibility on your own. And if you're not growing you need to quit blaming the pastor. You need to quit blaming the life group leader. You need to quit blaming the pastor of your past church for all those years you didn't grow or whatever. And you need to open up the Bible yourself. You need to sit down and you need to ask Jesus, I, I'm not growing. What do, I, what do I need to do? Work in my life, please. Because we've got to take some responsibility. Paul says, work out your own salvation. And then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, one of the things about spiritual growth is it's a serious business. That God takes it seriously. He takes it seriously that if you're, that the fact that maybe you got saved at vacation Bible school when you were eight and you're no more spiritually mature now than you were then, God takes that seriously. He says, work it out with fear and trembling. There are consequences if we, if we ignore that. Um, I was thinking about this in, in a way that I could help you understand it, and I was thinking uh, about myself a couple weeks ago and just kind of a change in my life. Um, see, I've got, a, uh, I've got a different relationship with college football than I used to have, okay? Um, my, let me tell you what my relationship with college football used to be like. Um, I, 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 I watched it all the time. And, uh, and then I, I, not only did I watch it all the time, but I thought about it all the time. And I, I listened to talk radio every single day. Uh, I read blogs every single day. I read recruiting reports. Uh, I was constantly talking to everything. That was, you know, that was my thing. I loved it so much, and I was constantly in it. And, and uh, my relationship with college football has changed, not because college football is bad. If that's you, I'm not telling you you're bad. I had to change for myself because it was just tearing me up inside, and I was really not enjoying life anymore. And so let me tell you what my relationship with college football is now. This is my relationship with college football now. I, on Saturdays, I watch it, and then that's it. Yesterday, I watched parts of four different college football games. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't read anything before that. I didn't know who was starting and all that. I, didn't, I haven't listened to talk, uh, local talk radio where they talk about college football. I haven't listened to that all season. And, man, I'm so much happier. And, uh, and so I haven't read any. I don't know who's recruiting who. I don't, know, I don't know the depth chart of anybody. I've got my one team that I watch, and I know a good bit about them, but I don't even read about them. I just turn them on and watch them. And if there's a new guy starting, I don't know where he came from. He's just there and all that kind of stuff. And so my relationships changed. So, so I went from being really committed to college football to now I'm just a one day a week, and, and that's for only part of the year. Now, there are a lot of you, well, no, no, I don't need to say that. That's a, that's a bad assumption. Just cast that out. Uh, jury, do not re remember that statement was made. That's what they would say on Law & Order. Um, there may be some of you who your relationship your, with spiritual growth is the same as my relationship with college football. You don't think about it. 
You don't work at it. You don't, it's not even on your mind until you show up on Sunday morning and you sit down and you're looking at me and, and I'm up here running my mouth and I'm telling you, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. And, and, and I'm making you look at a verse on a screen and that's the first time you've looked at the Bible in weeks, months, maybe years. And that's the only time you think about growing spiritually. And then you go home and you don't even remember it once the Panthers kick off at 1 o'clock. You don't even remember that again. And then you come back the next week and that's the next time you think about growing spiritually. And it's just never on your mind. You've cast it out. And I want to tell you that if if that's the case, you're never going to grow and you're never going to be the person that Jesus wants you to be and you are not working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If the only spiritual input you get in your life is what happens here on Sunday morning, and let's be be frank with each other, chances are you're here maybe three Sundays a month. Maybe. If that's the only spiritual input that's coming into your life, you are spiritually malnourished. You are starving to death spiritually. Because you have got to learn to feed yourself. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul didn't say that anybody else could work it out for you. And he didn't say that you could work out anybody else's husbands and wives. There are some of you that are thinking, well, I can work out my husband's spiritual life for him. I don't know why I thought only women do that, but probably because only women do that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, But, you know, that you can't do it for someone else. You've got to do it for yourself. Now, I know that's heavy, okay? I know that might bring you down. So, so let me tell you the good news, the second point, of what, which happens in verse 13, and that's this. God provides everything we need to grow. God provides everything we need to grow. Look at verse 13. So verse 12 there said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I understand. Believe me, I know. This life can be overwhelming. And maybe you came in here today and you've got so much going on and you don't know how how you're going to deal with different things and, and you've got stresses and you've got a job that you that you uh, is just killing you or you've got a job that's killing you, even maybe it's a good job but it's killing you. You've got a stress in your relationship. You've got a stress when it comes to your kids and you, you've got stuff at your house that's piling up that needs to be done. Whatever it is, all this stuff goes on. And then you walk in here and, man, I need a word of encouragement today. And I stand up here and say, on top of all that, you need to do something about your spiritual life. And you're probably thinking, man, I can't do it, Cliff. There's too much. I can't even keep up with whatever else is going on. How can I also start to grow spiritually? And I want you to know that you're not in this by yourself, that God gives us everything we need to grow spiritually. See, you have to take responsibility for your spiritual growth, but you aren't solely responsible for your spiritual growth. You can't be. You can't be solely responsible for your spiritual growth. It cannot only be up to you. And so what you need to understand is what verse 13 says is true, that God works in you. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his 
good pleasure. Remember way back when we started uh, the, the Philippians uh, series and Donnie taught the very first week, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Go all the way back to Philippians 1, 6 and remind us again of what Paul said there. He said this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to him, I want you to know this, that God has been at work in your life, God is currently at work in your life, and God will be at work in your life. He is never going to stop working in your life. He even is working in your life when you're trying to be as far away from him as possible. He's working in your life trying to draw you back to him. Now, one of the things that we do is that we resist that work sometimes. Sometimes we're like a, a spoiled kid who, who God is, is the, the parent trying to say, hey, I need you to eat these vegetables and I want you to put this coat on when you go outside because it's cold and you're saying, no, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and none of my friends wear coats at school so I don't freeze to death, I don't care what you say. And that's the way we act sometimes. But God is constantly working in our life. Now, Remember what I told you a while ago that in verse 12, that was the, the verb work there. And I told you it was a Greek word. It was a real long word that started with a K. Well, there's the, the verb work is also in verse 13 where it says, it is God who works in you both to willing to work for his good pleasure. But here's the cool thing. That's a different word. See, the Greek language has different words for, for words that in English we only have one word for. <clears throat> and the word there in verse 13 that is translated work is, is a Greek word where we get our word energy from it. That's where the word energy in English comes from that Greek word right there. And the idea of that is it's an idea of putting forth power. And so what Paul is saying there is he's saying, listen, God is putting forth power into your life. Every day, the power of God is flowing into who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, if your life has been changed by him, he is putting his power into your life and it never stops. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't always feel that power. Do you? There's days that I feel anything but powerful. There's been days recently where I, I felt uh, not only did I not feel the power of God, but I wondered if God was even still wanting to talk to me. Have you ever felt like that? And even in those times, even in those times, the power of God is flowing into our life. And what we have to do when that happens is we have to slow down enough. We have to get away from the distractions. We have to get away from all those things that are keeping us from understanding that power of God, that are keeping us from experiencing that power of God. And we have to slow down enough and we have to just be quiet and we have to listen and we have to seek out what God is trying to say to us. Spend some time quietly praying. Open up the Bible and turn off your phone and turn off the TV and tell the kids to go lock themselves in their room and paint the walls while you get back understanding that God is putting power into your life. See, God gives us everything we need to grow, but then we've got to do something with it. I was thinking uh, this week about uh, someone who is a friend of mine, and I wanted to remind y'all to pray for him. And then I thought, you know what? I can make this into a sermon illustration. That's just what I do. You know, it's kind of the kind of the deal. Um, I got a friend. His name is Ryan Johnson, and Ryan is in the uh, in the United States Navy, 
and he is um, he left here. A lot of y'all know him. He graduated year before last from high school, and we prayed for him right down here before he left. and And Ryan has finished now his uh, his basic training stuff, and he's about to finish his his training for the job that he's going to do. and In just a little bit, you know, just a matter of a few days, probably he's going to find out where they're going to send him. And he's gonna where he's gonna go to serve. And uh, and if that wasn't enough going on in his life, he decided last week to get married, which is awesome. We're all excited about that. And he married Jessica, uh, who who usually sits right over here with her parents. I think she's volunteering in the back today. And so uh, so Ryan is is uh, he's part of the, the 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 armed forces of our country now. And here's here's the deal: what the the Navy has done for Ryan is they've given him training. They have. They have provided for him everything he needs to do, uh, that everything he needs to do his job. They've given him a place to live. They've given him everything he needs to eat. They are, they are going to provide him a place of service. And they've given him all of this stuff. That's what they've done. But now, if that's all that happens, if they just give him all of that and then he just sits there and does nothing, then what kind of navy are we going to have as our country? It's, well, it's not going to be real strong. If a lot of people do that. So what does Ryan have to do now as a member of the United States Navy? Well, what he has to do now is he has to then act on that. He has to take the training they've given him and he has to put it into practice. He has to take the tools they've given him and he has to use them. He has to go to the place of service and he's got to go to that job day after day and he's got to be on call and he's got to do all of that stuff that's required of him. <clears throat> required of him as a member of the United States Navy. And as followers of Jesus, one of the things we need to understand is, is that God has given us a place to serve. God has given us the tools we need to serve there. God has given us, even he's given us the motivation. It's there, it's there in verse 13 that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's given you the motivation to serve. He's given us everything we need to serve. And so now it's up to us. We have to do something with what God has provided. It's not enough just to show up here, clap our hands, yay, God's good, he saved me, and go home and do nothing. It's not enough just to go to work and hope, man, I hope nobody asks me about church today because I might have to talk about Jesus. We'll keep a real low profile. It's not enough says that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to take responsibility for our spiritual growth. That we should be able to look back and say, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I know Jesus better than I did six months ago. And to be able to look to the future and say, I know I still won't be perfect there, but I pray that in six months I'll know Jesus better than I do today. That's all God expects of us. We can never be perfect. We're never going to make that. But what he expects of us is to continually to be growing. Paul talked about his life. He said that he was like a race. He said that when he got to the end, he said, I'd run the race. I've finished it. I've kept the faith. And at the end, I hope to be awarded the award that I'm going to get in heaven because of my faithfulness while I was here on this earth. And here's the great, greatest part of all, that if we do that, we get to be a part of God's big work on this earth. Verse 13, he said, It is God who works in you both to will and to work. Why? For his good pleasure. 
See, human beings can't accomplish the work of God on their own, but God almost always uses human beings in his work. Almost always. That whenever there's something big that happens on this earth that is a movement of God, you know who he uses to do it? He uses people like you and me. He uses people that are just trying to do their best in the face of insurmountable odds. People who are trying to do their best in the face of of sin in the culture. And he uses people like us to make a difference. But we have to take responsibility for that. We have to take responsibility for our growth. We're going to have a time in just a minute when the band comes and time for you to respond. And I want to ask you a couple questions uh, for you to think about during that response time. And and let me ask you to do one thing. Don't check out during the response time. Uh, Stay engaged. First question is, if you are here today, if you don't know if you're a follower of Jesus or not, and all this talk about growing in him, that's, that's the next step that you can't even address yet. There's some of you that you need to give your life to Jesus to begin with. And that's just as simple as praying to him and telling him that you've sinned and that you trust in the cross and the cross alone to save you from that sin. That's how simple it is. You can do it this morning or you can do it later on. You don't have to be with a pastor to do that, but you need to do it if you haven't. And then for those of you that are followers of Jesus, you need to ask yourself a couple questions. And the first one I would encourage you to ask yourself is, where do I need to grow? Where do you need to grow spiritually? And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, Cliff, there's so many places. Well, then narrow it down to one to begin with. Where do you need to grow spiritually? Another question is, what changes need to be made in your life so that you can Take that step of growth. Maybe you need to turn off the TV. Maybe you need to wake up earlier. Go to bed earlier. Wake up later. I don't know how, what your schedule's like. But maybe changes need to be made. And then the last thing I would ask you is, um, why not set some spiritual goals? You know, we set goals for everything else. We set weight loss goals. We set financial goals. We set goals for all kinds of things. Why not set some spiritual goals? Say, I want to read the Bible every day for the next 30 days. I don't know. Whatever. There there could be a whole much much more, a whole lot better. I want to give away, you know, half of my possessions to homeless people. Uh, That's one that some of y'all are like, Cliff, we're really not going to do that. But whatever. Set some spiritual goals. So ask yourself those questions. Where do you need to grow spiritually? What changes need to be made? And then what goals could you set spiritually? Let me pray for us. And as I pray, the band's going to come up here and we're going to sing a closing song and you're going to have an opportunity to respond. And so I pray that you would. You can come down here and pray. You can come find me or one of our other volunteers and uh, we'll talk with you. Or you can just uh, respond there where you are. But let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that your word written so long ago that a letter written to a church in a place most of us will never visit still speaks truth to us today. And I pray, God, that you would help us 
to remember that you have sacrificed so much for us that all you ask for us in return is for us to live faithfully to your teachings. And your teachings are good. We will live by them. We'll find that it's a much better way of life than what we try to do. And so I pray, God, that today that you would turn our hearts towards you, that we would put aside foolish things, that we would be very aware of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.